Hello and welcome. This is Cam FM, and I am joined today by Frank Swain and Thomas Woolley, and we're going to be looking at the undead and the science of zombies. Good evening. Hello. Do you want to say hi, Tom? Hello. <laughs> oh, you did. Oh, well, we're going to jump straight into our first track, and um, well, this this will be a slightly obscure one, but I hope many of you will recognise it. Hello, and that was the theme tune to Night of the Living Dead. So um, I think Tom's got something to tell us about that movie. Well, yeah, it was really the first movie that gave gave us the zombies that we have and love. Love? Love. Yes, love. That we love today. So before George Romero's Night of the Living Dead, the, uh, the, uh, the zombie was much more like its originator, where it came from in Haiti. It was, it was much more just a mindless slave. So... George Romero took this mindless slave and then killed him and then brought him back. And that's what makes them so that's what makes them such a, a great horror thing because how do you kill the dead? Well, uh why didn't he call them zombies? Okay, so originally he didn't want them to be zombies, but mm. that's what we've got today, so. Yes, so uh they were he he actually said he lifted the plot from Roger Matheson's I Am Legend, so the famous film that came out remade again recently for about the umpteenth time. 
uh, with Will Smith and instead of imagining the end of the world and the last man alive uh, he thought it would be interesting to look at the beginning of the outbreak so when these ghouls first came back to life and in, in I Am Legend they are you know, vampires essentially but he decided to, to make it a bit less obvious he ripped off this book that he would just call them ghouls uh, and so that's why the word zombie is, is not mentioned in Night of the Living Dead despite it becoming the defining zombie film uh, you know of the you know ever I guess yeah. the most famous zombie film ever so before then, zombies were just the minor, you're saying the minor slave, so it was sort of a voodoo black yeah, magic type thing. Yeah, pretty much, because uh, originally they, they weren't killed, so if you go right back to the uh, Haitian folklore, they were given potions to make them hallucinate and then stop their blood, uh, well, stop, uh, stop their heartbeat and reduce them to a living corpse like state. So then they'd be buried and then dug up and then they'd just be kept in this, this mindless state, so they'd do the, the bidding of their, their master. So is that what was in Indiana Jones' Temple of Doom? Which one was Temple of Doom? The one where they um, pull out the guy's heart and has a strange dream sequence with Indiana Jones in a room full of candles. Oh, yes. Well, something like that. So, <laughs> it's getting closer. But, um, yeah, so in mean, this idea, that's been in movies before, this idea of the mindless, the, the slave. So it originated with uh, The Cabinet of Dr. Cal Caligari, um, which is this, this wonderful gothic film. Um, if you ever get a chance to see it, go, go see it. Um, it's a silent film, and it's... Um, all the all the architecture in it because it's all based on backdrop it's all weird angles and it's it's a very strange film but beautiful but the 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 um the, the monster in it is a, some, a somnambulist so he's not a zombie he's categorically stated as not a zombie because they probably didn't even ha know what they were back then but he's just someone in a catatonic state he's a sleepwalker and he can predict the future and he does the his master's bidding and goes and kills people so oh well well that gets us started on the history of zombies and we'll move into something just a bit louder who is this irresistible creature who has an insatiable love for the dead
make you kill. Online 97.2 On air camfm.co.uk And across Cambridge Your music Your Cam FM Hi there, this is the Science of Fiction and I'm Andrew Holding and today I'm joined by Tom and Frank and that was Living Dead Girl by Rob Zombie Do remember to send in your questions through the online player or at Think Outreach on Twitter or facebook.com slash Think Outreach Now, um I think I'll let... I think it's back to Tom again for this one. Why uh, do we play that? It, Rob Zombie always has a, uh, a sweet place in my heart. It reminds me of my teenage years. You know when you're trying to discover what music you're into and what films you're into? Rob Zombie was the soundtrack to my teenage years. and it, he, he, he's, um, he, he has a sound called Psycho Billy, which was influenced by the horror films. And the, the song he played there, The Living Dead Girl, if you ever go watch the music video for that, directed by Rob Zombie, you'll see the imagery of Dr. Caligari coming through. It's all those weird angles and the sharp pinstripe black against white. Really good. Um, but then it's taking this weird turn. So originally he was influenced by the horror films and then he's now influencing the horror films. So he's now writing the music for the horror films and in fact creating some himself. So House of a Thousand Corpses and The Devil's Rejects was the sequel to it. I have an odd feeling someone told me House of a Thousand Corpses. Didn't that start off as something like a Crow sequel? I don't know. This I heard that. It might be an awful room that has no basis. <laughs> Thank you for that story. Well, if anyone knows them, they, well, can, they can call in and, uh, and tell us. Yeah. Uh, but it, here's my question. Is it true that the reason that the, the artistic design of the cabinet for Dr. Caligari came about because they couldn't afford any lighting, and so they painted... <laughs> they, no, seriously, they, okay, they painted uh, the shadows onto the floor because they could not afford the stage lights to make the shadows happen. Having, having seen it, I can damn well imagine that being the, the truth. Um, well, that's why the TARDIS is a blue telephone box, is they had the prop and needed to make a show around it. Brilliant. That, that's what Doctor Who was a few weeks ago. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I say just to bring it back around to zombies. So, Robert Zombie is act- was actually the lead singer in White Zombie, which was the first zombie film, which we, you were just mentioning, Frank. Yeah. So, uh, this is a claim to fame for being the the first ever zombie film, and a lot of these early zombie films uh, stayed true to that sort of Haitian myth of a person under the spell or control of someone else, but almost invariably involved uh, a white girl who was bewitched by black magic. Now, because brilliantly salacious tagline for white zombie which was something like uh, she was not alive nor dead just a white zombie uh, performing his every desire yeah very so. sexualized wasn't it in fact oh, I remember yes. the movie poster it has a picture of uh, a tall uh, black gentleman carrying this white damsel just and it it's, there was uh, nothing like that in the film. Well, <laughs> Haiti has always had that effect on America. It's always been that small uh, you know, corner of Africa that's laid upon their doorstep mm-hmm. uh, with all this heady brew of, uh, of you know, witchcraft and then a guilt complex America had. So, yeah, a very powerful cultural force uh, in America. 
But as um, as we were saying, so the, the, these songs are now influencing the, the films themselves, and it's taking a whole new spin into the entertainment industry. So where you started with Rob Zombie just singing about the films and like, going back into the films, you're, you've now got to monster, retal, monster metal bands like the Lordy uh, group that, that uh, won on the Eurovision, who, who really shook that place up, but it went, then went back to pop, but anyway. <laughs> and then, so now, then you had Guar and things like this, who are just taking that next step, that next ludicrous step into entertaining people through the monster myth. It is amazing, though, how recently zombies have just exploded in popularity. I mean, I know movies we go around for a while now, but if you go on the internet as a meme or as an ongoing thing, zombies are now really, really big. I say, I've heard that they're now rivaling uh, vampires as the main token the monster. <laughs> maybe amongst our, our age group, maybe. Not, maybe, so, yeah, maybe. No, not so much amongst maybe the 13 year old girl, girl demographic. Yeah, I think okay. I'm very firmly in the vampire camp. <laughs> You're just talking about Twilight there, aren't you? Well, it's we don't mention it, it's, it's it's a hugely powerful force, uh, and it's not to be sniffed at at all. Uh, the the amount of influence that it has in the resurgence of vampire fiction is if you, you know, go into Waterstones now, there is like a, a dark teen romance section, which you know is almost is that uh, its own subgenre. Yeah, it's oh, its own wow. subgenre of you know dark romance, and it's uh, you know there's no zombies there. Yeah, that's that's the thing about the zombies that. I quite like them because they've been stripped down to their very basic strength. That's all you have left as a zombie. You, you are just this mindless, wandering corpse. With every other monster, you have some kind of benefit. With the vampires, you can have... You live forever, you're strong, you've got teenage girls falling at your feet. You just suffer from sunburn. Who <laughs> suffer from bad, very bad sunburn, indeed. And then, then werewolves, you know, they have that cool mystique about them. The zombie, he's, got, he's dead, he's falling apart, he's a shambling mess. And that, you can almost feel sorry for them because they don't really have anything going for them. They're certainly quite cute in Plants vs. Zombies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not talking cute. I'm just feeling sympathy. Uh, the, the best description of a zombie that I've ever come across was written by a journalist uh, writing about Dead Rising 2, which is one of these uh, zombie-themed computer games. And oh, yeah. he, he called them slightly bothersome props for gory humour. Yeah, no, the, the, originally... Cause I, I watched... Um, which one was it? It was Dawn of the Dead last night, and you can see them just running up to zombies and pushing them over. They, they were really, really <laughs> ineffectual initially, that you could just like hold them at arm's length and let them flail. But now they're, they're becoming a lot more deadly. I mean, you've got 28 weeks later where they're, they're beginning to run. In fact, I've seen movies nowadays where they can even ride bikes, <laughs> ride motorcycles. Well, if you look back to uh, Return of the Living Dead, which I think was 1978, uh, zombies, they actually coordinate an ambush and, yes. and lure the police into a kill zone. So yeah. some high-level zombie tactics there. I think if anyone listening has their own sort of how to, how to beat zombies, what would you do? In, in the event of a zombie outbreak, I'd like to hear what people's what, strategies. What would your weapon of choice be? What would your, we your weapon of choice and where would you choose to make your stand yeah. as well? Well's, I mean, we're, we're, under, we're, we're in an underground bunker right now, yeah. so I think uh, we'll be broadcasting all the way through the zombie epidemic yeah, should it happen. Stay, stay with us through the Holocaust, we'll get you there. Yeah, send us your tips and we can inform the populace <laughs> uh, you know, and give them the, the best zombie action. Going back to the sort of mindless zombie, I think one of the things which makes them so effective, though, is the fact that it was just the, the numbers of zombies in those mindless zombies movies was that... Oh, yeah, it's the sheer numbers that is really scary, isn't it? Whereas you might get the clever Dracula-style murderer or in lots of other genres, but they don't use intelligence. They just use that fear of being overwhelmed. Mm. Yeah. If only someone here knew about numbers and zombies. Oh, numbers <laughs> and zombies. Well, yes. Well, we'll definitely get onto that. But uh, I think we're going to take a little turn now and um, move on to something slightly different. Hey, Tom, it's Bob from the office down the hall. 
good to see you, buddy. How have you been? Things have been okay for me, except that I'm a zombie now. I really wish you'd let us in. I think I speak for all of us when I say I understand why you folks might hesitate to submit to our demand. But here's an I mean, no one's gonna eat your eyes. All we wanna do is eat your brains. We're at an impasse here. Maybe we should compromise. If you open up the door, we'll all come inside and eat your brains. I don't wanna nitpick, Tom, but is this really? Spend your whole life locked inside a mall Maybe that's okay for now But someday you'll be out of food and guns And you'll have to make the call I'm not surprised to see you haven't thought it through enough You never had the head for all that bigger picture stuff Tom, that's what I do, and I plan on eating you slowly. All we wanna do is eat your brains. We're not unreasonable, I mean no one's gonna eat your eyes. All we wanna do is eat your brains. We're at an impasse here, maybe we should compromise. No one's gonna eat your eyes. Oh.
compromise Open up the doors We'll all come inside and eat your brains That was um, Real Brains by Jonathan Coulson and uh, we've just had an email in that sparked a massive debate in the um, underground bunker we're in and that was who would win in a real life plant versus zombies? Yes, so this is a, a question from Michael asks, can anyone comment on the viability of using plants to defend against zombies as in the game Plants vs. Zombies? And so we thought that the best way to uh, def you know, defensive gardening, as it were, would be to breed some kind of super plant that could attack people. And of course, thought of triffids. Mm. So, uh, you know, what are your thoughts on using triffids as a defense against zombies? Uh, the zombies have the numbers on this side, but we did talk about would the triffids actually affect the zombies because they're already dead. Mm. So it, it's that question there. But I mean, I, I just um, well, zombie don't triffids blind people? Therefore, if they they can still presumably blind zombies. No, no, they well, can kill you. Oh, yeah, they, well, yeah, they can. But kill zombies well. aren't really thinking with their eyes; they're just. <laughs> I don't think. Mark. <laughs> I, well, I don't know. I think eyesight might be the only sense that zombies are really working on. I mean, it's true. Yeah. So if they see a human, they'll head towards that. But before they see food, I mean, if you're talking about the Romero zombies, they do retain some kind of um, a reaction memory. So that's why you find them in malls and things. They just have this memory of "I want to shop, I want to shop," and things like that. But um, on the whole, they 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 just wander around. Well, we know they're not very smart, so if you grew a hedge maze, they might get oh, lost in genius. it. Oh, genius! I like that. But does that explain why all Resident Evil games seem to have a hedge maze? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's because they shamelessly rip off uh, an earlier game series called Alone in the Dark, which did feature a hedge maze yeah. in, a, in the first episode, I think. Yeah, second. I played the demo for Alone in the Dark a long, long time ago. It was a long, long time ago. It was the original uh, survival horror game. Well, maybe not. Hugo's House it, of Horror it was, was the original very, one. It was very, very scary. It, it was it, terrifying. It was, very, it was understated. I remember this one point. We were in a room searching some object, and then just these hands came along the door. And then that just scared any more out of me than having this shock music or a shock face. It was just... To be honest, I remember it being terrifying because all the people were made out of, like, Lego bricks. <laughs> <laughs> that is one thing to worry about. Okay, so that song we just played um, leads us into our next subject which well same subject next theme and that is comical zombies yeah i think this uh, this is really a case that zombies uh, as we pointed out are so inept and so harmless in there uh, by themselves they have become this figure of fun um maybe we've reached saturation point with how much we're going to be afraid of zombies and so we have things like Shaun of the dead which is a zombie rom-com and i think fido came out as well recently which is like a boy who had a pet zombie Oh, I've not seen that one. Um, I think it was, was it Billy Connolly. Someone can correct me if I'm wrong here. Uh, but yeah, it was a, a pet zombie. And zombies have become pets, and they have these uh, collars that Billy sort Connelly of keep them. Maybe really? I might I might be making you're this making up. Making this up. And then there's definitely a film called Fido, which involves a, a, a pet zombie. So yeah, there's a, a lot. But zombie, you know, uh, is it new? Um, oh, it's not new. Cause, I mean, Brain Dead had this theme. I mean, they they were just throwing blood around, and then you have this one guy who gets oh, there's so many beautiful deaths in Brain Dead. <laughs> I mean, I mean, full-on crazy deaths. So someone gets their head punched through, and someone gets pulled and their half is missing, but he's still screaming. He's fine. He's like, ah! But his legs are missing. It, it, so, I mean, the, the comical zombie, it, it's, it's kind of got two ways you're going with it. Are you going to make fun of the zombie for being inept, as uh, like the rom-com side of it has done? Or are you going to make it funny and just go l crazy on the horror side and make that all just so far beyond that you're not actually afraid of it, you're laughing about how much 
these people are dying. You know, Some, they don't get no respect. I think that's the problem. But is this something that's, that's why I say you sympathy? You can have sympathy for a zombie. Is this unique to zombie movies? Because there's certainly been a large number of humor, well, spoof horror movies as well. You know, Scream. Uh, yes, I'm trying to think of 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 comedy vampire films. Anyone can think of is Vampire oh. in Brooklyn, which well, was a the, terrible the Leslie film. Leslie Nielsen one, Dead and Loving It. Uh, and zombie vampire lesbian killers, which again, I don't know. Oh, whether, no, I don't no, know whether that counts as a Horn comedy. Corden. If it's if it's not funny. There was a title looking for a film. <laughs> Someone had written that down. Go, yeah, that'll sell. <laughs> Got nowhere with it. Someone someone's just written in, of course. Um, if we mentioned this, but Pride and Prejudice with zombies. Uh, yes, this was a genius idea, and so you know I'm working on my first book at the moment, uh, which I've been working on for far too long because I'm going to miss the zombies resurgence. Um, but uh, it's zombology, which is the science of zombies. And previous to that, uh, or just about at the same time, this you know person came up with this wonderful idea of repurposing something that was out of copyright and adding zombies into it. And it's an absolutely brilliant idea. And I wish I'd thought of it <laughs> uh, because you only really have to write, you know what 10,000 extra words I think, I think I think why it works so well with Pride and Prejudice is that the story works around Pride and Prejudice as well the zombies fit in it's not just and there's there with the women talking about women things and there's a zombie attack it's they actually fit it in well because I, I um, if I remember rightly they send the Bennets off to learn ninja martial arts isn't it because <laughs> that, that and then they the uh, they all come back and the higher status people ha are better trained you know so it, it fits well and you have all this military around in the books why is that military there well it's because of the zombie outbreak and that's why it did so well if you just slapped a zombie in something you know it'd be derivative but you actually did something have there that. been any historical zombie films do you mean historical books or films? No, films even, uh, you know, involving fighting zombies in, in, in... I mean, are they a purely contemporary... They've always been a social commentary. Uh, and mm. I oh, wonder so if a zombie anyone's... film should never be about a zombie. Yes, uh, and they're a metaphor, but for that reason, has anyone made a historical zombie film? I think there was a Chinese one that involved the seven masks of the... Seven masked ninjas, golden ninjas or something, and they were these undead... Ninjas who had golden masks. If you took the mask off, they'd melt away. Um, that's the only one I can think of. Maybe someone can tell me if there's more. No, I don't know. So we've just had uh, comes into Yata versus and Wild Zero as brilliantly fun zombie films. Oh was, my goodness! Yeah, I've, I've seen quite a few. The, the Japanese love a good zombie. Horror, cause they, they just like having swords fly around. There's a brilliant one called Versus. Yes, if you haven't seen Versus, um, go and get this rent rent this film. I get it off a love film. It is impossible to describe in all its glory. It is but magnificent. It is essentially a sort of a John Woo-style gangster Yakuza film involving zombies Hyper and... Hyper-zombies. They're called hyper-zombies. Hyper-zombies hyper and demons uh, against ninja Yakuza's. And I so believe it's... one of the swords has a gun on the end of it. Yes. So if, if this is impressing you and you're liking the sound of this, Versus is the film for you. It delivers much more than what myself and Frank are telling you. I oh, could ever sum up. Yes, go, go and see this film. Um, um, and the other one they mentioned, what was that? The Wild Zero. Wild Zero. Wild Zero. They're, they're a Japanese band um, who, not they're a completely different sound to Rob Zombie, but they've got that same sort of being influenced by the horror genre. And then they made their own horror film, and it's dire. <laughs> oh, it's oh. There's one. Oh no, I can't even bother going. There, oh, there's a brilliant part where they're they're in a van and they're they're driving along, and the zombies are obviously fake, and one falls off and just wobbles because he's made of polystyrene or something. But they've not taken that scene out of the film. It's just this wobbling zombie. So is it better than um? Is it in 
Plan V Invasion from... Oh. Oh, uh, Plan 9. Plan 9. From, plan 9. I have not seen that one. Plan 9. I take this Rad back, space. actually. Plan, plan 9, plan nine may well be the first zombie film which involves raised zombies raised from the dead, because I think it beat uh, Romero's Night of the Living Dead by well, a year. No, why zombie doesn't involve someone who's actually dead. Oh, so, oh, I see. So the actual resurrected from the dead zombie on someone's command, I think Plan 9 narrowly beats out Romero, which is a great tra- tragedy when you're trying to write, a, write up, you know, this great <laughs> illustrious history of the zombie film, and you have you to have admit to this terrible, terrible film by Ed Wood turns out to be the progenitor of all zombie films. Should we, just for people who don't know, never heard of Plan 9, do you want to just quickly summarize I've the movie? I've never seen it, so it's all down to you. Oh my goodness. Um, is I mean, a, I've seen Ed Wood, the film, which talks about it, and it looks dire, so that's why I'm never seen I've it. only seen parts of it. It is basically a a film about aliens that invade from space and take control of people's minds, raise corpses by putting electrodes into their brains, I think, so they can control them. It's renowned for having a uh, sort of shoestring, and I do mean shoestring budget special effects, so the... Uh, flying saucer on a string and it is just a saucer on a string in front of the camera it's that bad um, but if you want to you know, tr- trial yourself go and watch it isn't the cockpit for people sitting on dining room chairs of a flying saucer yeah it, it is really that low budget but it uh, also brings back Bella Lugosi who was in that film well, who, who actually wasn't in that film he was half in that film. Yeah, he was half in that film. He died halfway through, and so they just had an actor hiding his face behind a veil, <laughs> playing Bella Lugosi for the rest of the film. It's it's, it's that level of of absolute, uh, yeah. It's amazing. Like I say, it's it's. How can I how can I do it justice? It's a brilliant film. Go and see it. So which one's the brilliant one? So uh, versus, we all say go see. Versus is absolutely entertaining. Go and see uh, Plan Nine just for the. It's called Plan Nine from Outer Space. Uh, go and see it for the pure car crash of <laughs> of trying to make a film and everything going wrong. And I would say uh, Wild Zero is on that same level. If you want a, a car crash film which has some interesting punk music in it, that that would be. Okay, so moving on from the absolutely dire, we're now going to play someone who has a vague bit of talent.
at hand Creatures crawl in search of blood To terrorize your neighborhood And whosoever shall be found Without the soul for getting down Must stand and face the hounds of hell And rot inside a corpse's shell On air, camfm.co.uk and across Cambridge. Your music, your camfm. Right, so that was Thriller by Michael Jackson. You may have heard of him. He had a small pop career at one point. And uh, he had a whole league of dancing zombies in that. So, zombie locomotion. Uh, Why do zombies shuffle? Why do zombies shuffle? Apart from Michael Jackson zombies, which dance very well, but mostly sort of very sort of club-footed zombies. Well, yeah, that's the thing. So you've got to imagine that these uh, guys have been dead for a while. So if they're going to be doing anything active, they're going to. There's this thought on zombies that do they live forever or or are they rotting? And when the brain finally rots, will they actually die again? Um, so they're they're burning up any um, energy they have left. So they're, they're going to want to conserve it as a shuffle, really. You're seeing as a, as a more efficient form of I, locomotion. I would say it's more efficient for them to shuffle because they they don't know where they're heading yet. When they see something, then they can run, but to try and get it. But uh, until that point, well, this uh, I'm glad that you brought that up because uh, running zombies, the zombies, the MTV generation, uh, 28 days later, you know, famous for having running zombies in it. Although you know, were they really zombies because they were infected, not dead? Blah blah blah. Um, I take issue with this. There were running zombies in much earlier films. Um, for example, well, if you look at Return of the Living Dead um, 2, I think it was. One of these ones that tried to pretend it was uh, part of the Romero canon and it wasn't. They had talking zombies, they had running zombies, they had uh, zombies doing all kinds of things. And we have a question that's come in from... Oh, they haven't left their name, but it's a question from a listener who says, What is it about brains that zombies love so much? What's wrong with other body parts like an arm? I'd personally choose a bacon sandwich any day of the week. So from the zombies I've seen, they're not that picky on what they bite, personally. (laughs) No, um, there's this horrible story about Day of the Dead, the one that takes place inside an old missile bunker. And at the end, I think if you've seen it, you'll remember one of these characters uh, gets... I won't know. I'm not going to spoil it, but one of the characters gets eaten and they pull his guts out and they're all munching on it and he says, I hope you choke on them. And the thing was, those guts were real awful and they'd left them, someone had left them in a fridge overnight and forgot to turn the fridge on. And so all of these poor extras that had to eat those uh, very... on their faces. Yes, it really is. They had to (laughs) plug their noses with wax so they wouldn't vomit everywhere. 
um, because it smelled so bad. Uh, what is it about brains that zombies love so much? I'm not sure who were the first zombies to eat brains. That's an interesting question because in um, certainly in Nice Living Dead, they just they were happy with anything. I say yeah, they're, they're not brain specific. Isn't there a line in Buffy Vampire Slayer where I think it's Anya points out that it's not them who eat brains, but it's them controlling masters who make them want to. Oh, mm. interesting point. But you, you were saying, Frank, about they they have a reason in. Well, in, in again, in Return of the Living Dead uh, two, I think it is. They strap a old woman zombie to a gurney and they interrogate her to ask her why she she wants to eat brains. This old woman is a zombie. Right? She's an old. Well, <laughs> it, yeah, it's not an old woman, but it's sort of a, a you know petrified corpse that looks a bit like an old woman. And she says it's to stop the pain of being dead. So maybe there's something about brains that contains a chemical that makes zombies so, uh, feel kind of a bit better. Thing. And who are we to, to to deny them that pleasure? You know. Well, well, well who indeed? So coming back to. Um, our bunker down here. Uh, Tom, you've written a scientific paper on how to survive a zombie yeah, apocalypse, so, so I think maybe you should tell us how to do it, since we need to be prepared. Well, like I said, we're pretty safe down here. Well, we haven't got any food, though. We may need to get some food in. But anyway, I really should um, try to justify myself being here. So, I mean, you, Frank, you've got a book coming out, and um, so why is a mathematical biologist talking about zombies, and how can he claim to be an expert? Well, in 2009, um, Robert Smith, an Australian, um, he actually wrote... Uh, a paper, a mathematical paper, on zombies using a, a mathematical model called an SIR model. So you have susceptibles, infected, and removed. So your susceptibles, they're your normal humans. They're the ones who can get infected. Your infected guys, your zombies. They're the ones who are going to do the biting. And your removed, well, they're the ones who don't affect anything. They're the dead people. So dead humans, dead zombies, get removed. And so he showed some very nice things using this. So this, this, this model of an SIR model, that can be used to model measles, flu, colds, any kind of disease. He just happened to put it onto zombies. And the media loved this. It, caused, it went down a storm. So a couple of flash forward a few years later, he then sends out an email to mathematical bi biology department saying, who wants to write a book on these things? So my hand shut up saying, you know, I, I, I like doing outreach and I like doing mathematics and I like zombies. You put all those together and I'm on your project. So he said, yep, write me an article. We'll see what we do. So the, what, the way, the, what we looked at was adding a spatial term into this thing. So uh, what they looked at was just how the populations of the humans and zombies interact. We looked at how the zombies move and how that will affect the system. And so we, we have this model of a zombie movement as just plain diffusion. And what that means is that they're moving randomly and moving uh, away from high areas of population to low areas. So that they're moving out everywhere. Everywhere you can find a human, there will be a zombie at some point. It may take a long time to get there, but they'll get there. And that's, why, that's one of the things why they're so scary. They, they don't stop. They're going to keep coming unless you destroy them. And what we found from this is quite depressing results. Um, it doesn't look like we're going to survive. <laughs> so, sorry about that. Um, th there were three parameters, essentially, which the model came down to, which told us if we could win or not. The first one was the speed of the zombies. Uh, quite obviously, if, you make, if the zombies are faster, the infection spreads faster, we all die faster. So slow the zombies down, you slow the infection down. Makes sense. Second one, the aggression parameter. Who's the more aggressive? If zombies are pointless and they, they couldn't hurt a fly, then great, you can live with them, make them do menial tasks, do the hoovering, <laughs> who cares? So, but if, if they're deadly, if we have to be more deadly than them. And as you, we were talking earlier about um, this idea of uh, 
um, I am legend about him, the, the last man on earth being the legend because he's actually the, the murderer, you know. And so that's what it has to come down to. You have to be more deadly than the zombies to survive. And then this final parameter, this last one, which is perhaps the most depressing of all, is the human population. So you can interpret this in two ways. Firstly, if you remove the human population, no infection, everyone survives. But it's very hard to remove a population geographically. So what you can interpret it as is killing your fellow human. When myself and the other authors on this paper uh, realized this, we, we wrote immediately that we do not encourage this course of action. Okay, um, We're going to have a tough enough time dealing with zombies to worry about other humans. Also, preemptively, it might go wrong. Pre exactly, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> you got to make sure they're properly dead. But uh, coming back to this question about um, why they eat the brains, from the mathematics, it's actually more... Uh, efficient for a zombie not to eat the brains because as soon as we, we've all got this idea that as soon as you kill the brain they're dead the, the zombie can't survive after you, you killed the brain so what the zombies want to do is create more zombies so only bite the human and let him get away so when he then gets infected he'll become a zombie and that swells the ranks of the zombies so as soon as he starts eating the, the human's brains then their zombies their zombie ranks aren't swelling anymore so let's just hope they do like zombie bra well human brains let, let, I don't know. Was that the moral of my story? I'm not <laughs> sure. Um, I, <laughs> take from that what you will. So, so for all the listeners out there who are getting thoroughly worried that the zombie apocalypse is coming, what's your advice? My advice, get an axe. <laughs> because you can use it. It's a very useful tool around the house. You can use it to chop wood for fires, etc., etc. But it's always there just in case. Just in case. Just in case. And uh, let's say, Frank, what, what was your weapon of choice? You know. Oh, my weapon of choice. Uh, hmm. Nuke it from space. Nuke it from the space. It's, it's the only way to be sure. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And build civilization on the moon. <laughs> Who needs Earth? You give it to zombies. Zombies need air too. Do they? No. No. Land of the dead. They can walk underwater. Okay. And on that note, we'll move on to the next track.
Welcome back to the Science of Fiction. And uh, we've had a few emails in during that song, which was In the House in a Heartbeat, and that was from the 28 Days Later soundtrack. And we feel a need to um, inform our listeners of what seems to be some worrying choices by them. We're doing a public service here, I think. This is a public service. Do not use chainsaws in case of a zombie attack. Um, They're likely to malfunction. Um, They need petrol, which may run out on you. Uh, they're quite hard to service without uh, <laughs> modern facilities. I also actually think they clog up quite badly on human flesh. I mean, they'll go for a few people, but after that, they're, they're not designed for it. They're designed for wood. Well, so the oil can, mechanism isn't good. You can get a bone chainsaw. You can get ones that are made in for abattoirs. Yeah, well, you'd have to get an abattoir on there. Uh, this goes also for guns. Don't use guns. They're showy. But you're going to run out of bullets sooner or later. Yeah, but it, it'll be laser, won't it? I mean, if, you, if I had a choice between a baseball bat and a gun... Uh, your baseball bat's going to run out before you know how, okay, how so many if, times if, can if, you swing a baseball bat before you get knackered <laughs> I, I think <laughs> I, I think it's overrated you, 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 you're talking about lots of zombies here so you, you'd have a lot of zombies facing you in a baseball bat then your bullets are going to run out quicker than your baseball bat's going to run true, out true but you're going to be knackered I mean, so you don't want to die whilst tired? I think, I, I think it's a zero-sum game, and I think. Well, we're not going to win. I've already, I've already told you, we're not going to win. I think the maximise your time, even with the, the you know the consumables in a in a gun or a chainsaw running out, the edge it will give you mean you'll survive longer than someone who is just holding a baseball bat. Well, so if you do remove yourself, if you can get yourself to a fortified position, then you by all means use a gun to start picking off the zombies because that raises your aggression parameter, and that means you're more deadly than the zombies. But here's a question: How do you kill a zombie? But this was sent in by Sandra and mm. I'm I really want to know this because a baseball bat if you have to decapitate them that's quite hard no you don't have to decapitate you just need but alright so there's a couple of things here so going back to the Haitian zombie the original ones they said that if you gave the zombie salt they would wake up and realise they were they were dead and then run back off to the grave so that, that's not how you kill <laughs> that's them. really convenient of them <laughs> yeah no, it's like, bye tremendously convenient yes so, so, or so, meat oh, oh, uh, yeah so salt and meat so that that's how you don't well you don't kill them but that's how you get rid of them but they weren't really deadly they were just they would kill on their master's command but they didn't really cause a threat but your modern day zombie it's either decapitation or destroying the brain okay well this brings us on to the slightly worrying reality that frank's going to explain in a moment that the zombie invasion has already begun. Yeah, and, and this is a big problem for about 40% of the people who are listening to this program right now. I'm afraid I have to inform you that you already have a brain parasite inside you, an active brain site that is perhaps changing the way that you behave and the way that you think, albeit in a very slight manner. Uh, and this is a parasite called Toxoplasma gondii. It's normally found in cats, and it cycles between cats and mice or rats. And the problem is, uh, when it's in rats, it needs to get back into a cat. And as you well know uh, from Tom and Jerry cartoons, uh, <laughs> rodents, ha- they, don't, they don't get on with cats, and they tend to avoid them. They're called neophobic. They have fear. They're very wary of any kind of new situation. They're very careful, which makes them uh, one of the reasons rats are so hard to get rid of. Um, but it will also this parasite will also infect pretty much any warm-blooded animal including uh, our livestock so lambs cows stuff like that and as a result this parasite also gets into us now when it's in rats and it wants to get that rat into the jaws of a cat and it wants to pass itself on uh, it does that by reprogramming the rat's brain and so instead of being neophobic these rats become uh, a lot more outgoing a lot more risk uh, you know seeking um, 
and they actually become attracted to the smell of cat urine, whereas before they'd be, uh, you know, they'd hate it. They'd avoid anywhere that smells like cats. Of course they would. So it's uh, when this gets into humans, um, there's hints that it might do something similar. So a, a Czech professor called uh, Jaroslav Fleger in Prague looked at people who had got into car crashes where it was their fault and they weren't drunk, and he found that their uh, far, far more likely than the general population to have been exposed to this parasite. So they had uh, antibodies for this parasite in their blood. It didn't mean there was an active infection, but it hinted that there might be. So, uh, unfortunately for the people listening, about 40% of humans are infected with Toxoplasma gondii. So it's possible that you are already a zombie and you didn't even know it. So just a question on that. So your mice get the zombie disease and mm -hmm. they then, then throw themselves at the cats. Mm -hmm. Isn't yes. that the opposite of what the human zombie does? He wants to try and kill the human rather than Oh, kill me, kill me. That's true, but you're looking uh, at it from the wrong point of view. We're looking from the point of the uh, the, the parasite. That's what matters. Oh, that's so true. the yes, parasite yeah. is, is zombifying us. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we are its zombies. I mean, there's other examples of this in nature as well, isn't there? There are examples of the emerald wasp. Uh, there's the emerald wasp, which is a particularly nasty little parasite. Um, it's very pretty to look at. And it's, it's a parasite of cockroaches. And so what it does is it finds a cockroach and it gives it a quick sting on the underbelly and it paralyzes the cockroach, the cockroach can't move. And it only does that so that it can jump on top of the cockroach and then it drills its sting down into the cockroach's brain or at least what passes for a brain in a cockroach, which is the, <laughs> the basal ganglia, and injects this venom in a very, very, very specific part of that brain. And what happens is when the first thing wears off, the cockroach starts to clean itself and then it just stands there and it should run away, but it doesn't. It's had its free will dissolved by this wasp and the wasp then leads it into a burrow, actually grabs hold of the antennae and just pulls this thing along into a burrow, lays an egg on it, the egg hatches, uh, the grub burrows its way into the cockroach, begins eating all of its internal organs cockroach stands there it doesn't mind a bit or probably does mind but it doesn't have any incentive to run away and eventually it dies and the wasp hatches out of it like a chest burster and begins the whole nightmare again so alien style wasp bursting out of cockroach it's all true yeah everything that you saw in movies that you thought was too horrible uh to really be true it's absolutely true and um i suppose the other one is a type of mold isn't it mind-controlling mold. Yes, this is a, a cordyceps, which is a fungus which attacks all manner of insects. Almost every, I think, species of insects has a... Oh, sorry, most species have a an associated strain of cordyceps, which is a fungus which gets into the brain of these insects. And, for example, in, in ants, it has a wonderful name, Cordyceps unilateralis, which means, you know, this controlling uh, thing. And it gets into the, the, the ant's brain, and the ant will be start acting a bit weird, and if the rest of the ants notice this in the colony, they'll pick it up and throw it away as far as they can from the colony because they know what's going to happen. Uh, and eventually this ant will get the urge to climb up a tree or a plant or something. It'll climb up to a certain point and just stay there. It'll clamp down with its mandibles and it'll wait. And meanwhile, this fungus, which has been growing inside its body and into its brain, will suddenly sprout a big fruiting body out of the back of the ant and begin showering conidia, these spores, down on the rest of the ant colony. And any any ant that accidentally breathes in one of these spores, well, the same will happen to it. It'll go mad, climb up a tree, and, and begin to process anew. And cordyceps can easily wipe out an entire colony of ants. So here's a question. Can the cordyceps live without the ants? I don't believe so, no. So what's benefited, what benefits it by killing all the ants? Would 
It's. I think it's just one of these peaks and troughs of population. I n- I've got a feeling that it might have a second phage. There is a type of cordyceps that has a double stage, so there's a, a spore that can live a long time in soil. So it doesn't necessarily have to get straight uh, into a... Okay. Um, the, the fungus itself is an obligate parasite, but it, it can sort of... A spore can survive for a long time outside mm. of the host. Mm. Oh, well, just before we finish off, we got one more email sent in, and this is by Will, who was on the show the last couple of weeks. One Brandon Lewis wants to conduct an informal study involving F1 drivers and members of the general public looking for the relative proportion of cat owners. He spoke as a motorbiker with no fear and he grew up surrounded by cats. Uh, yeah, so um, Toxoplasma gondii, because it is so common, it's been looked at uh, uh, you know, with suspicion in a lot of um, case, you know, uh, by psychologists and neurologists, a lot of suspicion saying, okay, maybe this is everywhere, maybe it's doing something, maybe it's a cause of schizophrenia, there's a lot of work going into that, and some people have said it may be the, the origin of this meme of the crazy cat lady. Uh, so <laughs> do cat owners, do, do you get it from cats? You can do, it's more likely you get it from meat, from undercooked meat. Well, there you go. Keep away from those cats and that French cooking. So um, thank you, Frank and Thomas, for coming along today. Thank you. No problem. And uh, thank you, Home, for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. Sadly, I won't be here next week because I'm off presenting my work at a conference. Uh, Nothing to do with zombies. Something far more mundane. But I'll be back in two weeks with Clementine talking about the science of children books. It's a 